Bibles with you. Um, our passage this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 21. And if you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1175. That's 1175, with the assumption that the pew Bibles are all the same. So Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make it plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was now that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, in faith, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Boom. This morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the power of the truth in that short text. And pray that as Clive comes up to deliver your word this morning, that you will open our hearts to hear what it is you have to say to us and that you will help him to deliver the message with clarity of speech and mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Only at Mutley Baptist Church, eh? Being led so sensitively and tenderly in worship uh, by Ross and by Ellie and by the Holy Spirit, who I believe has been leading us, But only at Mutley Baptist Church could you also get led in worship by a duck. I thought that was (laughs) tremendous. That's a first for me, Dawn, thank you. Please thank Aqua later on. Um, It was just one of those things that I'm experiencing afresh at Mutley Baptist Church. And you know, sometimes we can get over-familiar with our faith. Do you agree? 
Sometimes powerful, awesome words, like the words we've been singing, and the words that Ross has just read to us, almost demands a boom moment, okay? Because actually they've tripped off our tongue, or we've read them, or we've heard them so often, they've become so familiar, that actually they've not any longer got the same impact on us, and that's our loss. That really is our loss. Because what we can experience is a deeper and deeper understanding of those same powerful words. As we move on in this series, and it's the fourth message in the book of Ephesians, uh, and we've called this series The Call because the whole series is showing us that through the letter that Paul wrote to Christians in a place, uh, uh, Ephesus, that's now in modern Turkey, well, it's always been there, it's just modern Turkey now, um, actually, God is calling us deeper into the things of heaven and deeper into the things of the kingdom and deeper into the wonderful things of his son, Jesus Christ. And this time, I'm giving it the title for these 21 verses in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Called to a Deeper Understanding. Called to a Deeper Understanding. Because we need to understand our faith more and more deeply if we're to experience God's love more potently. And Paul here, in this part of the letter, is clearly the pastor because he's praying for the people out of a heart of compassion. He's clearly their pastor He spent years with them. He taught them. He preached the word there. He led people to faith. He was involved in all of that. But he's also the preacher, passionately proclaiming and exhorting people from the word of God. But another thing we mustn't forget in this passage is that Paul's a prayer warrior. He wants to pray for these people that he's the pastor of, these people that he's preached to. He wants to pray that their understanding would become deeper and deeper and deeper so that they'll love God more. <clears throat> so that's the kind of background to this text. And there's one, something wonderful that we've got to note before we even get into this text, is that Paul takes one of his wonderful little tangents. I do it when I'm preaching, so I hope you can bear with me when I do that. I'm not saying I'm in, in the same place as Paul at all. But Paul does this thing of having wonderful tangents. Look at this one. Verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, he's about to say, I'm going to pray for you. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he goes off on a complete tangent, which in the New International Version I'm reading from is just a little line. And in verse 14, he must remember, after this fantastic tangent, what he was about to do, and he comes back to it. Oh, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. And then he prays one of the most beautiful prayers in the whole of Scripture. One of the most beautiful prayers that's in the Bible. So Paul is calling these Ephesians, and God is calling you and I today, to a deeper understanding. And as a pastor, as a preacher, and somebody who wants to pray, I with Paul want to say to you, we can go deeper yet. And in fact, I'd want to say this, there's a vital need for a deeper understanding of our faith in Jesus Christ. And let me read from uh, a survey that's been published recently just to demonstrate that. As you can see, I've read through this pretty thoroughly. And it only came out on the 24th of September. It's um, the results and the findings, or at least an article based on that, from a a poll of 3,000 people selected at random from the UK, actually more specifically from England. It was commissioned by... uh, uh, by, for Comres and the Barna Group to do it on behalf of the Hope Charity, the Church of England, uh, the Evangelical Alliance, and various other groups, including Good Old Baptists together in the UK. 
And here's one of the first findings that might strike you. 57% of people in England call themselves Christians. Well, I can tell you there'll be way less than that in church today. There'll be about 5% max. But 57% of the people in England call themselves Christians. But a fraction of them will be described as practicing. One in five of those who uh, don't practice is open to finding out more about Jesus after hearing Christians, practicing Christians, talk to them about their faith. So although 57%, that can be misleading. That's the kind of thing when you're asked at accidents and emergency, when you've had way too much to drink on a Saturday night, not you of course, please forgive me, or me, but those people who find themselves there have got to give a religious affiliation. They can say none, but they often say C of E, because that's where they were done when they were little, you know? That's the kind of thing that happens if you're with me. But 57% would claim that. At the last census, I think there were several thousand that claimed to be Jedi. Okay? So if you know anything about Star Wars, there are thousands that claim to be Jedi. That was their faith. But then there are some even more interesting findings. Listen to this. The survey found that the majority of non-Christians know a Christian and think well of them. That's nice, isn't it? That they're most likely to describe them as friendly, caring, good-humoured, generous, and helpful. Are you? I hope so. That's what it says. One in five non-Christians is open, this is very important, to finding out more about Jesus after hearing Christians talk to them about their faith. However, just 9% of those Christians would be described as practicing. In other words, reporting to regularly praying, reading the Bible, and attending church at least monthly. Now, don't hear me say that. I don't think once a month is regular. Okay, if that's regular, then if you go at Christmas and Easter, that's regular too. Okay, but 9% would claim to be practicing. Dr. Rachel Jordan, who's the advisor for mission and uh, evangelism for the Church of England, has said a couple of things that we might benefit from. Firstly, she said, people like their Christian friends and family members, and they enjoy being with them. This is a different view of the church and Christians to the one that's often portrayed in the media. Have you noticed the way Christians are portrayed in the media? It's not good, is it? But Rich, Dr. Rachel Jordan says, this is a different finding. It's a valid finding. She says, followers of Jesus are good friends and they're fun, according to people. It's here in these relationships that we have conversations about faith in a, in a place of trust and friendship. And 20% of our friends, so a fifth of our friends and family members, want to know more about faith in Jesus. That's great news. But we need to understand our faith at a deeper level. Not that we sh- I'm saying we should never venture out until we've understood it perfectly, because we'd be waiting a long time, because there's room for mystery, as we'll see. But the problem is, and I want to address this, there's a worrying lack of religious literacy in the UK. People don't know their Bibles well. The survey highlighted this and discovered that two out of every five people in England, that 39%, two out of five, sorry, 39% do not know Jesus was a real person who actually lived. That's staggering, isn't it? Two out of every five, 39%, do not know that Jesus was a, a real person who actually lived. And amongst the under 35s, wave an arm if you're under 35s. Right, there's a few of you telling porky pies there, but I'll let you off. Okay. Those who are under 35s were more likely, 25% of them, than older people to think Jesus was just a fictional character. So if you're younger than 35, a quarter of you think Jesus didn't even exist. 
In total, 22% thought people, of people thought Jesus was a mythical figure, and 17% are just unsure whether he's real or not. So by my maths, that's 39% either think he was mythical or they're not sure whether he was mythical or not. But listen to this, because this staggered me. Of those who consider Jesus to have been a real person who walked on earth, three out of five also believe in his resurrection from the dead, as documented in the New Testament. So overall, some 43% of English adults believe in the resurrection. 43% of English adults believe in the resurrection. But they're not in church. Only 5% are. So we have got some great encouragements there. We've got some wonderful encouragements that if we understand our faith a little bit more deeply and live it out, we are going to have opportunities with those people who think we're quite friendly and nice and cool to actually explain what it means, the resurrection. Wow. Wow. Now, just before you feel really threatened, there's loads of promises about how God will help you to do that. But as we look at what Paul has been writing here, the first thing that I want to say is that Paul is somebody who wants to make the mystery plain. And he wants to help those Ephesians to make the mystery plain. So let's think a little bit about this mystery. In verse 2 of our reading today in Ephesians 3, Paul says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. He's saying that he's got this mystery at least a a little bit understood because of the revelation given him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says he's been called to make this mystery plain. He said he's already written about it. If you were to go back to chapter 1, and in chapter 1 read verses 9 to 10, Paul has already said to these Ephesians that he, Jesus, has made known to us the mystery of his will, of God's will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time will have reached its fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. So here's at least part of the mystery. Hidden in ages past, but revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit to Paul this apostle, that God in the fullness of time, and when the times will reach their fulfillment, will bring all things together under one head, Jesus Christ. He's going to wrap up this old creation, beautiful though it is in part, but fallen, and he's going to make a magnificent, wonderful new heaven and new earth where Jesus Christ will rule and reign with all those who love him and all those through God's mercy and grace that have been brought into his family. He chose the Jews for that purpose that the Gentiles might also come to know God's love. So Paul in the first six verses shows how he understands his mission and he helps the Ephesians to understand their mission. Let me just read these verses again. Actually, we'll read from where I left off. We'll read from verse 4. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to men in other generations, as it's now being revealed by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, this good news, the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. 
The mission is that God wants to bring Jews and Gentiles together. In other words, everyone who lives on planet Earth, of whatever religious background, of whatever ethnic group, of whatever nation, whatever continent, God's plan is under Jesus to bring all human beings together through this message of the gospel, this powerful, powerful message, and to the promised in Christ Jesus. So what is the message that he's brought to those Ephesians for years? And what is the message that he wants them to understand at a deeper level as he seeks to make this mystery plain? Well, to understand the message, you need to understand the gospel. Let's read verses 7 and 8. He says, I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all God's people, let's pause there, He's the least because he was persecuting Christians. He was standing by, guarding the coats, while Stephen, the first martyr of the new church, was stoned to death. Indeed, he's on a a road to Damascus in order to have Christians persecuted, arrested, tortured, and killed when he has a vision of Christ who asks him, why are you persecuting me? He comes to believe in Christ. He's blinded in that encounter. Jesus sends a prophet to him who tells him he's going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus has already said that. You're going to go to the Gentiles. This is a Jew of Jews going to the Gentiles. And he understands that his mission is to tell them this gospel, this good news. And if you want to know what the gospel is, it's this. None of us, none of us in this room and none of us in this city and none of us in this world has any right to to access heaven or to a relationship with God. But God so loves this world that he sends his son into this world that whoever puts their trust in him and in his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection three days later will be welcomed with open arms by the God who loves them. That God so loves this world and he doesn't want anyone to perish that he sends his church, the head of which is Jesus, into the world, whether it be Nepal or wherever it be, that people would know that God loves them. Paul wanted to make the mystery plain. He understands his mission. He wants to make it clear to the Ephesians. He understands the message. He wants to make it clear to the Ephesians. And God wants to make it clear to us today that when we share our faith, we share the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you know when people are asking me questions, and they do, as soon as I say, I was an atheist till 32, what do you do now? I'm a church minister. Wow, what happened? I'm off and running. And they'll come up with all the questions they expect. Well, if God's a God of love, like you say, how come my father died the other day? If God's a God of love, how come my little child is in a cancer ward with leukemia? All of those big questions, the question of suffering, we should, with great delicacy and great love and great respect, be very careful how we address those mysterious questions. But there are answers we can give. And I never want to avoid those, but as soon as I can, I take them to the Jesus who knows all about suffering. God was in Christ on that cross. As I've said before, God was in Christ on that cross. Not remote from suffering, not turning his face away from his son's suffering, but entering into it. Whatever you thought about Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. If you've got a downer on Mel Gibson, can I just encourage you to pray for him? Because the only time you'll see him in the movie is just a picture of his hands nailing the nails into Christ's hands. 
but there's one moment in that movie which I've got to be honest, I struggled to watch. It was so brutal. And it's a moment when a tear falls from heaven. And for me, that was the father looking upon the son with anguish and with pain, not turning his face away. God was in Christ on that cross. So we need to understand this profound mystery of Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we need to understand more deeply our mission and our message, just as God, as God through Paul wanted these Ephesians to understand that. The second thing that Paul wanted to make clear was he wanted to make known the manifold wisdom of God and he wanted the church to understand that when we share that message, when we carry out faithfully that mission, we're not just talking to people, we're making the manifold wisdom of God known to rebellious rulers in the heavenly realms. Not just kings and princes, not just Caesar's household, but actually powers and principalities. If we look at verses 9 to 13... The first verse we read, verse 9, speaks of this mystery hidden in the past, hidden in God the Creator for ages past. But when we read verse 10, we hear that the church is to make known the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities. Let me read those verses for us. I'll read from verse 9. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn to it. Paul talks about making plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, that's through us guys, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm not just preaching to you today, I'm preaching to heavenly beings. So please, I covet your prayers for me because they would love to take me out of the picture. Every Christian, you don't have to be a pastor, has been taught to pray by Jesus, deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. We're in a battle and we make known to those powers and principalities that God has a better plan than they have. Earthquakes, suffering, famine. Jesus said, There'll be all of that and wars and rumors of wars and all these things must come before the end comes. But he tells people to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And he makes it clear that that's not just with word but with deed. Because if you leave someone unclothed, unfed, uncared for, not visited in prison, then you've let Jesus down. Because if you didn't do that for the least of his children, you've not done it for him. So the Nepal team, whatever you're going to do, guys... Part of what you do by getting on that plane is saying to the heavenly rulers who've been defeated at the cross by Jesus, you can say what we should do with our life, but as for us, we're going to love people of different ethnicity. We're going to love a people of a different nation. We're going to just make a difference. It might not be the biggest difference in the world, but it might make a difference to just one. And if it does, then God is pleased because he loves that one. If you work with children and teenagers... If you work with street girls or you're on the soup run or you're a street pastor, you are declaring the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities that would love to drag this nation all the way away from Jesus Christ. But what God wants for this nation is something very, very different. And this manifold wisdom of God is in a sense utterly embodied in Jesus. So whether we explain or proclaim or demonstrate 
We make plain the love of God to others with a loud hailer or with loving deeds rather than simple words. The one that we're trying to make plain to them is Jesus Christ. Just go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. Paul says this, We preach, in other words, we apostles, my apostolic team, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is foolishness to Greeks. It seems like a nonsense to them. To the Jews, it's anathema. Anyone who's hung on a cross or a tree is cursed. How can that be wisdom? Because Christ is the wisdom of God. So let's not just preach the cross or share the cross in one single way, that Jesus is a substitute for sin. He is absolutely that. But there's so much more. Do you know some of the people who need to hear the message of the gospel the most, they know they're sinners. They know they're wretched. They know they've stuffed up. They know they've failed. They know they're worthless. What they need to see is the love of Christ shown. What they need to know is that Christ did that to defeat the enemy that have dragged them into that mess and tempted them into that mess. They need a sense of, if you want the theological term, Christus victor, Christ the victor, over all the darkness that is wrecking their life. Not to make them feel worse for what they're already doing. Jesus is the wisdom of, of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. And this manifold wisdom of God brings this message of hope. Listen to verses 11 to 13 because there's this phenomenal message of hope that Paul says is part of making known the manifold wisdom of God. From verse 11. Uh, this is according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for, which, for you which are for your glory. You see, Paul's in prison and some of them are saying, huh, if God's a powerful God and a God of love, how come Paul's in prison then? Just in the same way that people say to you, if God's a God of love, how come that person I love died? How come I'm sick? How come I'm in poverty? And we need to be respectful, loving, and wherever we can, be practical and prayerful with our answers. But Paul says his imprisonment in some way, he maybe doesn't understand, is part of the, part of the plan, the mystery of God, that he will declare the manifold wisdom of God. But even there, Paul has this message of hope that he's involved in an eternal purpose, that that purpose is accomplished in Christ, and that in him he can approach God with freedom and confidence. Can I ask you something? What do you need freedom and confidence to approach God about today? How many of you would love an audience with David Cameron? Those of you who'd like to have a cup of tea with him and those of you who'd like to strangle him, and that's not a political statement. Because I could say it about Corbyn as well or any political leader. How many of you would like an audience with Her Majesty, wonderful woman of faith, the Queen? Maybe you'd like to just stand in front of her while she tapped you on the shoulder with a sword, or pinned a medal on your chest, or something like that, I don't know. But the point is, however interesting, wonderful, or, or effective that might be in effecting some change of something that you hold dear to your heart, you can go higher than that. You can have freedom and confidence to speak to the Creator of the universe. 
Wow. Freedom and confidence. We can approach God with freedom and confidence. And you know, you can't put the clocks back. I know you did last night. Apart from those people who got here really early this morning. Okay, there's always some, you know. If you're discreet, you just let them either slip in or slip out, whichever the time of year it is. But you can't put the clocks back, but you can step into your future. You can step into the future that God has for you, and you can step into a deeper understanding of the things of God. And as I close with my final point, this is the most important point of all. That Paul prays, thirdly, for spiritual power for this deeper understanding of Christ's love. Paul comes back after his big tangent now to say that that I'm going to pray for you and I kneel before the Father. For this reason I kneel before the Father, verse 14. This is where after this wonderful tangent of explanation he comes back to pray as the prayer warrior and pastor for these Ephesians. Do you know, I've been thinking about what I should write on the little card that goes into the welcome pack because what Andy wrote is brilliant but I've been asked to consider whether, whether I want to amend or change anything on it. And actually it might not be wise but in a sense I could write the whole of this prayer from verse 14 to the end of the chapter in there. I could write that in and just put Clive, one of the pastors. Because this is one of the greatest prayers any pastor could ever pray for anyone welcoming them for the first time at church or transferring from another church or have been in the church for years. It's a prayer kneeling in humility before the Father that that person would know God's love for them in a deeper way. They'd understand it more powerfully. I love that Paul says about kneeling in prayer. I kneel before the Father because that shows that praying is an act of humility. When you get on your knees, you're saying, I depend on you. I trust you. I surrender to you. You are the one it's all about. Who am I? I just kneel before you. Do you know we in the free church are not very good at kneeling? Do you know that? Look in front of you under the pew. We've still got pews. Look in front of you. Do you see any kneelers there? Now I know what some of us are going to say. We're nonconformists as Baptists. Some people go to church and they kneel down and they might cross themselves or they might parade the scriptures in with a cross or they might swing incense and all of that stuff is just religious, really. Some of it might be. You can kneel and it doesn't mean anything. But if Jesus Christ is in your heart and you kneel in humility before a God of love and you ask that God of love that he would help your brothers and sisters to come to know at a deeper level and understand at a deeper level his love. That's an act of humility that shows you can do nothing to bring that about. You can only ask God to make it happen. Have you heard of a guy called Ian Coffey? Anyone here? Does that name mean anything to anyone? He's not a bad preacher, actually. Um, I got him, uh, in fact, he's a brilliant preacher. I got him up to, uh, to do a very special uh, celebration at Andover Baptist Church, a church I used to be at. And it was one of those difficult moments for a pastor because I wanted to give a warm welcome to Ian at the beginning of the service, but I had to announce that we just had a terrible diagnosis of liver cancer for a 12-year-old girl. And I wasn't ignoring that. And it was my big day because it was a celebration of five years of me being pastor there. 
So what I asked the church to do, if they were able, was to kneel to pray for Alice. Because Alice had almost been given by most people who knew about liver cancer a death sentence. And it touched him, and he told me later that he'd shared it in a class, that he was surprised that we knelt as a church, and he and Ruth were two of the first people on their knees, Ian and his wife. And the whole church, those who were able, there were some in wheelchairs that couldn't, they knelt as we simply cried out to God for Alice. So that would be about three years ago. I am absolutely delighted to tell you that Alice is in the full bloom of health. Full bloom of health. I had to pastor a mum and dad and her two sisters through the why, why, why questions while she went through treatment that you wouldn't want to know about. But I know that all the prayers of all the people, not just on the occasion when we knelt, but all the other occasions were heard by God. And I know that you can tell me ten stories, and I could tell you ten more, of where God didn't seem to answer the prayer. But when we kneel in humility before a loving Heavenly Father, we can trust Him that it's absolutely in accordance with His will that He will release spiritual power into our lives for a deeper understanding of Christ's love. And that's what Paul prayed for these Ephesians. He prayed for knowledge and power, knowledge and power to grasp and to be filled by the Holy Spirit in their inner being, a deeper level of understanding of this love. Let me read verses 16 to 19 for you. The stuff in here that our worship-leading duck was helping us to understand this morning. So let's go from verse 16, because it's a beautiful verse. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power. There it is. Through his spirit in your inner being. So by the power of the Holy Spirit deep inside you. In your heart at the core of your being. Why? Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell, may live, may inhabit in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. There's the word again. Power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that love that surpasses knowledge, it's so deep you can't get under it, that you'll be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. How many people thought that the duck was going to lead us in a different song? So high you can't get over it, so... Come on, miserable! We'll start again. Hi, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't get round it. Oh, it's wonderful love. Boom, boom. And this is what Paul is praying. That they'd go deeper into something that knows no depth. And not only that they'd understand and experience this love, but that it wouldn't just be in their head, it would be in their heart. Listen, let me tell you that evangelical Bible-believing Christians are in danger of falling into two camps. The camp here that says it's all about head knowledge, it's all about propositional truth, it's all about a deeper understanding of this mystery. Thank you, Pastor. You've helped us to understand the mystery and what it means to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to the powers and principalities. We're comfortable here with that head knowledge, Pastor. Thank you. 
We don't want to be like that, those people over there who are those charismaniacs who all they want is an experience. They want nice gooey feelings. They've thrown their brain away. They don't want to understand deeply. They just want to have experiences of God's love. And do you know what? Both camps are completely wrong. Do you agree? The longest journey in the world, 10 inches from the head to the heart. But God doesn't often bypass the head, in my experience. He wants us to have a deeper understanding of this propositional truth in all its glory and majesty because it stands the test. And if that doesn't lead to a wonderful experience of his love, then something's wrong somewhere. And actually, when you have a wonderful experience of his love, a deeper experience of that, I don't know about you, but I want to understand it more and know more about the wonderful truths of God. So we need people who are balanced. Do you know balance is overrated sometimes? We need people who are passionate, who will pray for spiritual power for this deeper understanding of Christ's love. I'm going to draw to a close, but as I do, um, I need to let you know I'm, I'm Billy No Wife at the moment. I, I made a mistake once. I stood up and announced to the church that Marilyn had left me. They all look traumatized. It's all right, she's only gone to Australia to visit the children. You know, it's okay. But at the moment, she's babysitting in Christchurch. And I miss her because I love her. Okay? Ross and I are reduced for going for lunch together today. There you go. That's how bad it is. Because I'm morning as well. Because, <laughs> yes. he's looking. But there you go. Um, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me for that one as well, brother. The, the point that I want to make is this. I knew Marilyn before I knew Marilyn. Now, some of you are really worried about where I'm going with this one. I knew Marilyn from a distance and knew just a little bit about her when she really liked my best friend. Okay? But until that didn't work out, thank you, Lord. <laughs> until that didn't work out, actually, our relationship didn't start to deepen. But now, after 38 years of marriage, we have a relationship. And I could talk about knowing Marilyn in the biblical sense, but some of you would be uncomfortable. But yes, there's an element of intimacy, because we're husband and wife, and that's good, isn't it? Okay? But I'll tell you, one of the most intimate things you can do sometimes is just to sit in a room in silence with each other. Because you know each other, and you understand each other, and you love each other deeply. And you can just sit in silence as you watched out Nabby. Are you with me? It's that intimacy. And actually, this is the same kind of language. To worship God in spirit and truth means to approach as if to kiss in the New Testament. Proskuneo, Greek word. And actually, that's what Paul is praying about. A deeper, more tender, more intimate, more personal love. And I want to finish before, in a sense, a call by referring to the Rugby World Cup, which today determines which two teams will be in the final the following weekend, next weekend. And I'm sad to tell you, if you haven't heard, it will not include England, Ireland, Scotland or Wales. Okay? And if we've got some Italians amongst us, meo pali pochissimo italiano, you're not in it either. <laughs> Why would I want to mention the Rugby World Cup to stir up pain? So that the Plymouth Argyle supporters, who are doing really well at the moment, will have even more people to pray for at the end? No. I want to mention 
a really good World Cup for England, or more specifically, someone involved in it. Because in 2003, this man on the sports section of the Good News newspaper, which we give out with the recovery ministry, Jason Robinson, is pictured telling about the time in the Rugby World Cup when he scored a magnificent try against the Aussies in their backyard and we won the World Cup. That's not the point I want to make. The point I want to make is this. Somebody, when he was at the depth, when he was down in the dumps, when he was ruining his sport career, helped him to understand something of the manifold wisdom of God and come to know Jesus Christ. You may not have ever heard of him, but there's a rugby player called Vaiga Tigamala, retired now, who whilst Robinson was playing rugby league, and because of a broken childhood with an abusive father and a father who was absent, another father who didn't want to know him, yearned inside for love. This incredibly powerful, incredibly talented sportsman was trying to numb the pain with pint after pint after pint of beer. And if you know anything about that, it doesn't numb the pain. It takes it away for a while and you wake up with a hangover and even worse pain the next day. That's how many people end up into alcoholism. It's where Robinson was headed. His career was going to come to an end. And Vaiga Tigamala just took that opportunity to share that faith with him. And the rest, as they say, is history. He put his faith in Christ, did Jason Robinson. He scored that magnificent try, and as he got up afterwards, he just went, come on! And as a sportsman, I identify with it. But if you asked him, bottom line, Jason, what would you rather have? Your gold medal for winning the Rugby World Cup the fame of having scored that try uh, and being on top of the world in that way or a relationship with Jesus, I tell you now, it will be a no-brainer for Jason Robinson. He speaks openly about his faith. So the closing question is this. Heavenly Father is calling us to a deeper understanding. Heavenly Father might as well be ringing you on your mobile phone now. And the answer is, the question is, will you answer when God calls you? Are you going to hit the accept button, the answer button, or the decline button? Because this is part of discipleship, going deeper. In this church, you can sign up for a course. Here are the leaflets, Moreland's. You've got guys like me teaching on it. You can go deeper in the things of the faith. You can find out more about New Testament Greek. There's a course called Logos starting very soon. Get one of the flyers on that. You could do next year, if we run it next year, an internship where there's a whole theological school called Thermelios. You could do a swim course. You could sign up for the pastoral care course, which we're going to launch in the new year, to equip those of us who care for people pastorally, or our small group leaders if we want to do it. There's so many ways that we can deepen the faith, but bottom line is this. Do you want your faith to get deeper? And do you want your heart to get softer? Because we need a deeper understanding that leads to a deeper devotion and a more dedicated discipleship to Jesus. And just in case you meet a Jason Robinson or someone else out there this week, you'll get opportunities to share your faith. And there's one, one final verse I close with, 1 Peter 3.15. In your heart, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. In fact, let's stand to pray.
I'm a few minutes over my time, but I just got excited. So if you want prayer, we're not going to rush that, but we'll have a final blessing from Ross in a minute, and then anyone who wants prayer, Ellie, if you, if you guys are willing to keep playing, we will minister in prayer to people. Because this isn't just about head, this is about heart. It's not just about heart, it's about head. For now, let's pray. Please, Father, take us deeper. We know you don't want us to throw our brains away. You've given us perfectly good brains. But we do know, Father, that you want those things that are in our head to drop ten inches into our heart at the core of our being. You want to strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner being that we may understand the glorious riches of Christ Jesus and a close walk with you because of a close relationship with him. Father, please take us deeper and wider and longer and further than we've been this far into the unfathomable depths of the riches of the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your love shown in him, Father. Take us deeper by the Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whether we've worshipped you for weeks, whether we've worshipped you for decades, whether we're still just here looking because we've not decided to worship you yet, Touch us, please, and take us deeper in our understanding that we might have a deeper experience of your love. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.